A few years ago, when I started this podcast, I started as a commitment to the oceans. Basically, I knew I was going to get involved. I knew I was going to be involved. I was not fully certain of how I was going to approach it. But one of the topics that drew me to believe that I could be a part of helping with the solution or sharing the solution or supporting the many exercises that had already started was the topic of plastic and plastic waste. At the time, it was this big dramatic element. It may still be dramatic, but at the time, it was a lot more headlines and very little content. And it was my curiosity that pushed me to go out and sort out for articles and research. And I found a lot of information by studying the works and listening to the work that was uh, put out on podcast by somebody called Chelsea Rockman, who's been extremely, extremely generous with their sharing of knowledge. And I've really enjoyed that. And it has led me to all kinds of different exercises, including pursuing this podcast and meeting several participants, foundations and people and groups fully active on the topic of the oceans, including plastics. Um, the topic is still very much up there, but I've found that a lot of it is repetitive and that's fine as we need to get everyone on board. But I found also some articles that were probably, you know, adding to the conversation. So I thought I would share them with you. And here we have it. One of them is was um, published on the BBC, bbc.com. And it was authored by Hope, an NGO, um, or Hope and Go. I like it. I like it. It's very confusing as a name, but uh, let's put it the way it is. Uh, it's got a good ring to it. This was authored on, this was published, sorry, on October the 3rd, this year, 2022. And the title is in case you want to look for it. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch is an enormous agglomeration of plastic waste floating in the world's largest ocean, but it's not the only one, and now scientists are trying to work out how to clean them up. Rich Penaflor is a man with a mission. Since 2009, he has been working closely with the River Warriors, a group bent on cleaning up estuaries feeding into the Pasig River, which runs through the Philippines' largest urban area. Metro Manila, and is notorious for its noxious smells. Scientists describe the Pasig as the river most responsible for polluting the marine environment. When the cleanup first started, so much solid, solid waste sat on top of the water that it had to be removed by hand. Women volunteers waded into the polluted waters with little to no protective gear before dredging could begin. They needed to dig deep to get things out, wearing nothing but gloves for protection. Penaflor recalls. I decided to work with them and could only last half a day. I couldn't stop itching and I couldn't get rid of the stench. Penaflor and those he works with are aware of the Pasig River's dubious reputation, as well as the Sisyphean task of trying to turn things around. The Philippines produces more marine pollution than many places in Asia, and perhaps, surprisingly, most of that garbage stays close to shore. Britta Denise Hardesty, a senior principal research scientist of the oceans and atmosphere for Australia's national research body, the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, acronymed CSIRO, says there are plenty of misconceptions involving the waste we see in the ocean. While in some places we can see it floating within our line of sight, at others, ocean currents can sweep it out to sea and cause it to accumulate in distant plastic soups, such as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, 
which sits between Hawaii and the west coast of the United States. Much may have been made of the highly publicized Pacific patch, but it is only one of the gyres, or circulating ocean currents, which moves around the world's oceans in a never-ending circle. The gyres are part of the ocean conveyor belt, driven by currents moving across the surface of the ocean, flowing in a clockwise motion in the north, and a counterclockwise motion in the south. Because the currents also behave like enormous whirlpools, they end up pushing debris closer to the middle, where it can then accumulate in higher concentrations thanks to diminished wind and wave action. Britta Beschler, Senior Manager of Ocean Plastic Research at the environmental campaign organization Ocean Conservancy, says, In total there are five major oceanic gyres. All five gyres are large systems of circular ocean currents which accumulate floating objects, including plastics. But the North Pacific gyre is the most researched of the oceanic gyres, and less is known about the other four. The others are located in the South Pacific, the North and South Atlantic, as well as the Indian Ocean, and a host of smaller gyres. What is important to know or to note is that most of the plastic or the wastes that lost in the environment doesn't go to these garbage patches, says Hardesty. It doesn't go out into the middle of the ocean. Most of our debris actually ends up trapped in the backshore vegetation on land. Indeed, most of the debris that can be found in the ocean is already out there. At least half of that comes from fishing trawlers that move in and out of international waters, and includes lost or abandoned nets and fishing gear. Then there are items which were once part of ocean cargo but eventually became lost at sea. The World Shipping Council estimates that an average of 1,382 containers are lost to strong winds and high seas every year. But the numbers could be much higher, since container losses aren't reported unless the steel boxes which have been swept overboard are known to be transporting hazardous materials. One of the most widely reported container losses of the 20th century involved more than 29,000 bathtub toys including plastic ducks, turtles, frogs and beavers when they fell off the back of a cargo ship heading to the US from to China in 1992. These ducks later made news because they began turning up on beaches around the United States and continued to do so for more than two decades after the incident. While that may sound like good news, not all of it is positive. Hardesty adds that if there are hundreds of tons of garbage that are making their way into the ocean, more buoyant items can still break through the littoral zone, which extends around 8 kilometers from the shore. From there, a combination of wind, current, and waves can break down rubbish and take the pieces thousands of miles from their point of origin. For instance, we know that items moved all the way from Japan to the west coast of the United States in under a year after the 2011 tsunami blew large objects like motorcycles and floating ducks across the Pacific Ocean in a year or two years, she says. It is the most buoyant objects caught up in the ocean currents that can eventually come to reside in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which was first proposed by oceanographer, oceanographer sorry, Curtis Ebersmeyer, in 1997. He had spent decades studying and tracking ocean debris, and it was he who described the patch as one of the planet's most important geological features. Thanks to ocean pollution, the gyres have become floating, soupy masses of microplastics, which results from the physical breakdown that begins as soon as plastic first escapes into sea. 
while heavy organic materials such as wood and metal might eventually degrade or sink to the bottom, plastic breaks down near the surface as a physical response to abrasion, prolonged ultraviolet exposure, and degradation from prolonged contact to water. Having the larger pieces of plastic break into smaller chunks or pieces as a result of exposure to physical forces, such as wind or waves, is what creates the microplastics plaguing our oceans today. Studies have shown that these pieces can be smaller than a third of a millimeter, and they make up as much as 60% of the floating plastic debris within the North Pacific gyre. But exactly how much of the plastic ends up accumulating within the center of the gyres is not known. Between 2016 to 2017, the Algalita Marine Research Foundation explored the South Pacific, where it collected samples from the South Pacific subtropical gyre and found that they thought what they, they found what they thought were high concentrations of plastic fragments, but whose quantities were not disclosed, but they couldn't be sure these concentrations were above normal levels. They have called for more data to address what could be large errors in estimates of the amount of global plastic now found in the ocean. Before that study, and in 2014, it was believed that the gyres only had between 200 to 600 grams sets, uh, worth of plastic liter per square kilometer. For now, the Ocean Conservancy Bechler says the existing, body, the existing body of research indicates that the other gyres may accumulate much less plastic waste compared to the North Pacific gyre, for example. Sampling has found that the average abundance of plastics in the South Pacific gyre to be 26.8 particulars per particles per square kilometers and an average of 20.3 in the North Atlantic subtropical gyre compared to more than 700 uh, within the North Pacific gyre. Um, while the United Nations Environment Program estimates between 75 to 199 million tons of plastic can now be found in the ocean, there is no way to be certain how much of that is making its way into the gyres, since a great percentage gets trapped close to shore. Hardesty says the amount of plastic found in the ocean is tracking global plastic production and says it increases by 1.5 to 2% each year. We're finding more plastic in the ocean and because these gyres are accumulating areas of where plastic aggregates are congregating, it's quite reasonable to see and to think and to expect that yes, we are seeing an increase in plastic in those accumulating areas as well as the major gyres, she says. The surface of these garbage gyres may be unsightly, but what happens beneath is what disturbs, disturbs researchers the most. One study collected surface samples of the North Pacific gyre over a 22-year period from 1986 to 2008 and found that despite the steady increase in global plastic production at, and disposal, the concentration of plastic debris in the North Pacific gyre had not increased, says Bechler. This may be because floating plastic does not sit at the surface forever and it has been found that floating plastic debris that aggregates in the gyre also sinks down through the water column into the deep sea. As this happens, several studies now show that, in these, show that these plastics are entering the marine ecosystem, where they are not only being ingested, they're also being inhaled by animals, including seabirds, turtles, and fish. 
Drifting ocean plastics, which don't break down, also have the ability to travel the world like the plastic bath ducks, bath ducks, and they have also become a way for microbes and other marine organisms to move from one area to another, inadvertently transporting species to areas where they can become alien invasive species. Then there are the threats posed by ghost fishing nets, which can entrap marine life. Different types of items have disproportionate harm to wildlife. Soft plastics are easily ingested or eaten by animals, and those things have a disproportionately negative impact on marine mammals, seabirds and turtles, Hardesty says. But coast nests or derelict fishing nets are really problematic because they entangle wildlife and they keep fishing indiscriminately. Animals swim into these ghost nets and they get stuck and then they die. And because the debris is now so closely intertwined with marine life, they are difficult to remove from the gyres. Cleaning up plastic waste directly from the North Pacific gyre is a very difficult task. What's more cost and time effective is to reduce or remove waste upstream, i.e. at the source, on land. Well, before it is able to reach the ocean and enter the gyres, Bechler says. This makes the work of Reach Penaflor and his river warriors, as well as Bechler's organization, Ocean Conservancy, even more critical. Bechler adds, although it's difficult to directly measure how our efforts on land are impacting the amount of plastics in the open ocean and more specifically in the gyres, what we do know is that reducing plastic pollution on coastlines and land ultimately means less pollution reaching our waterways and entering the ocean. I hope you enjoyed that article. I, um, I think it sums up quite a few things and it adds a bit more. Um, for those of us that spend quite a little bit of time in this topic already, um, I still also think it finds a nice way to explain things and some of the questions that some people have, it gives us the vocabulary to be able to explain it to them uh, when we get a chance to. Um, <clears throat> so, funnily enough, another another article came out, which, um, which uh, uh, very appropriately is called One More Thing About Plastics, and which is they could be acidifying the ocean, the st study says, and this was uh, taken from Monga Bay. Um, so one of the things that came out in the first article that you just heard is plastics that float, the ones that don't break down, actually carry different forms of bacteria, disease, and chemicals, and subsequently, through the shift and movement, carry those problems into new situations and new places. Subsequently, you have invasive species of sorts developing. It's an issue of pollution, and it's an issue of contamination. And it's something that, for example, if you were to travel now to from Europe to Canada or United States, for biological reasons, you were not allowed to take in any food. And yet, all these different plastics are carrying all kinds of chemicals into the oceans and onto the shores and so forth, into the ecosystems. It's a serious issue. Uh, if you're interested in that topic, I would suggest you learn about biofouling, where it's precisely about how ships through the accumulation of multiple things on their hulls, carry into new ports and are constantly taking to new ports new forms of contamination, chemical and other. So let's read this article called One More Thing About Plastics. And in this case, authored by Elizabeth Clare Alberts, published on the 4th of October. 
And she goes on the topic that it could be acidifying the ocean. The trillions of pieces of plastic currently roving through the global ocean are known to be an assault on life. Turtles get tangled up in discarded plastic and fishing nets. Whales open their mouths to eat and unwittingly fill their stomachs with shopping bags. Filter-feeding fish and other organisms gobble up tiny plastic particles, poisoning themselves with the plastic toxins and passing that toxicity along to any animal that consumes them. And now, new research suggests that plastic pollution could be harming the ocean in an additional way by contributing to its acidification. <clears throat> Sorry. Through a series of laboratory experiments, scientists from the Marine Sciences Institute in Barcelona, known as ICM-CSIC by its Spanish acronym, found that when plastic, especially aged, degraded plastic, interacts with sunlight, it releases a cocktail of chemicals, including organic acids, into the ocean. Organic acids are known to lower the pH of seawater, causing it to become more acidic. In addition, the sun's degradation of plastic can lead to carbon dioxide release, which can cause pH to plummet further. In highly polluted parts of the ocean, such as coastal areas, plastic could contribute to a drop of up to 0.5 pH units, which is comparable to the pH drop estimated in the worst anthropogenic emission scenarios for the end of the 21st century, says Cristina Romera Castillo, a postdoctoral researcher at ICN-CSIC, and lead author of the study documenting the findings. The main factor producing the acidification is the greenhouse gas emissions that are dissolved in the ocean, Romera Castillo told Mongo Bay. But I think it's interesting to know that plastic is also contributing to the acidification. The world's oceans absorb about 30% of humanity's carbon emissions, which has resulted in a decrease in acidity across the globe. A decrease in pH across the globe, sorry. Lowered pH obstructs the ability of marine organisms such as corals, planktons, oysters, and urchins to build skeletons and shells out of calcium carbonate and to generally survive. The weakening of these calcifying organisms can impact other species that depend on them for food and habitat. Like other climate change impacts, ocean acidification doesn't occur uniformly across the world's seas, but it's estimated that, on average, the pH of surface waters has fallen by about 0.1 pH units. That may not sound like a lot, but scientists say this drop has already resulted in numerous and widespread changes across the global ocean. And things are set to get much worse if greenhouse gas emissions continue to rise. Some scientists even warn that ocean acidification represents a planetary boundary since it could significantly disrupt the functioning of Earth's natural operating systems. According to the planetary boundaries theory, Earth's ability to support life as we know it could be threatened if humanity pushes ocean acidification past a certain threshold, a limit beyond which the planet cannot cope with the changes and stresses humans place on it. When the impacts of high levels of ocean acidification interact with other Earth systems and processes, the resulting destabilization could place human life at risk. While plastic pollution would not have nearly as much of an impact on ocean acidification as greenhouse emissions would, Romera Castillo said it's something to keep an eye on. 
There are many reasons why we should be concerned about plastic, and this is one more thing, Romana Castillo said. This is not the only one, or maybe not the worst, but it's one more thing. Romera Castillo and her co-authors conducted their lab experiments with new plastics, as well as aged plastic collected from Canary Island beaches. They placed the plastic waste inside aged bottles, sorry, inside glass bottles filled with seawater, and then exposed the bottles to ultraviolet light similar to the amounts occurring in sunlight. They found that the older plastic released a higher amount of dissolved organic carbon and did more to lower the pH on the seawater. Right now, Nearly 13 million metric tons of plastic reach the ocean each year, but this number could increase dramatically in the near future. According to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, plastic production could triple in the next 40 years, going from about 460 million metric tons in 2019 to 1.23 billion metric tons more than likely. Much of the plastic will end up in the natural environment, including the ocean. A UN plastics treaty, which is currently in the works, could potentially reduce those waste amounts. Plastics, lumped in with roughly 350,000 other types of artificial chemicals in the global marketplace, are also categorized under another already breached planetary boundary. These so-called novel entities have become so pervasive as pollutants in the world, with new ones being engineered and introduced all the time that they have violated the novel entity boundaries critical threshold with governments no longer able to keep up with the evaluation of regulation of synthetic chemical risks. Jason Hall Spencer, a marine biologist and ocean acidification expert at the University of Plymouth, who was not involved in the new study, says the research shines a light on an important finding that plastics do break down in seawater releasing organic compounds and CO2 in the process. I think it's important that people know about this phenomenon, Hall Spencer told Mongo Bay, because what we are often told is that plastics, once they get into the ocean, will last for millions of years, won't break down, or be there effectively forever. However, he questioned whether plastic would significantly contribute to acidification in the actual ocean. For instance, he suggested that waves and currents could mix the water and dissipate the impacts of plastic acidification. He also pointed out that ocean plastics are often encrusted with biological organisms that consume carbon dioxide and produce oxygen, which might also reduce the plastic's contribution to acidification. Furthermore, Hall Spencer noted that a lot of ocean plastic ends up in places far from sunlight, like on the seafloor. It's important that we know these plastics break down, and in doing so, they lower the pH, he said. But what's needed as a next stage is verification that plastics in the ocean are lowering the pH. Stephen Whittacombe, a marine ecologist at Plymouth Marine Laboratory and co-chair of the Global Ocean Acidification Observing Network, who was also not involved in the new study, said the findings are noteworthy since they indicate that plastic could be a potential driver of ocean acidification in coastal regions. But like Hall Spencer, he said more research would need to be done to understand if these processes would happen outside the lab, in real-world situations, and on larger scale. The study does show us the importance of monitoring for multiple threats. Whittacombe told Mongo Bay, Often we get fixated on thinking, oh, we've got to 
go and monitor how much plastic there is there, or we've got to go and monitor for ocean warming and deoxygenation, when really what we should be monitoring for is actually everything. Romero Castillo said it would be much harder to conduct the same experiments in the ocean due to the multiple factors one has to consider, such as the respiration of microorganisms and the movement of the water. However, she said, and her team would like to try this in the future. This study is the first step, she said. Now there are many questions opening up. Wonderful. So they actually broke it down into several elements. Well done. It would seem obvious, but from a scientific perspective, you have to actually demonstrate each step in order to make the case. I hope you enjoyed these two articles all about plastic, one of the original drivers of me following the interest and actually starting a podcast just to talk about the oceans. And um, until the next recording, we'll see what we talk about next. Um, I follow the news and I have some news of my own also to share. So until the next recording, thank you very much for listening.